thank you, Alex, not only for leading us in our praise this morning, but for reminding us of the gospel and song right there, and our response to the gospel, and that is to worship God and to praise him. How sweet it is to be God's people together, to join our voices corporately in praise to our great God who is deserving all praise and honor and adoration. We'll find Ephesians chapter 4 this morning as we continue our journey through Paul's letter to the people in Ephesus and to us as well. And as you're finding Ephesians chapter 4, I want to ask you, have you ever wondered, is change really possible? Is change in your life really possible? Think in your life, what is that area, that stronghold, that sin, maybe it's a sin of your thoughts, an attitude, words, actions in your life, that seems to have the greatest grip on you? Perhaps it has plagued you for years. Is change really possible? Can someone who struggled with sin for a long, long time really find transformation and find change? What Paul has held up for is a very lofty standard so far. After showing us in the first three chapters of Ephesians what our identity is in Christ and all that he has done for us and who he's made us to be, if you remember in chapter 4 he transitions to now says, to us now walk worthy of your calling. Now, here's who God has said you are. Now, live up to it. Now, let your life match who Christ has said you are. He's told us to walk worthy involves things like being humble, being gentle, having forbearing love with one another, being eager for unity, to using our gifts to serve one another, to speak the truth in love to one another. And that's just the start. As we continue our, his journey, our journey through Ephesians, we're going to see in the weeks to come, he's going to tackle our speech. He's going to tackle our attitudes. He's going to tackle anger issues, work ethic, sexual purity. He's going to tackle marriage, parenting, and so much more. He's going to hold up for us a very high standard of what walking worthy looks like in the Christian life. Friends, is it really possible for us to change, to grow in those areas where we need growth? Because if we're honest, every single one of us has areas where we need growth. And if we're honest, every single one of us has areas where we desperately need growth in our godliness. There's areas of our life where all of us are not walking worthy of the calling we have in Christ Jesus. You've heard me describe before as a gap that we have. Here's who God says we are in Christ, and here's where we are. And there's a gap in all of our lives. As I've mentioned before, what we do with that gap is really significant because we all have it. For some of us, when we see that gap where we're not walking worthy, we just kind of get that white-knuckle determination. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to fix this. But before long, we're flat back on our face in that same sin pattern because it doesn't work. Some people just throw out their hands in despair and go, well, this sin has plagued me for so long, I really can't ever change. And they just become content living with this sin, this gap where they know they're not walking worthy. Friends, is it really possible to change and to grow in holiness? And the answer is yes. But the question is, how? And that's what Paul gets to this morning. He gives a little bit of a transition here because he's talked to us in recent weeks about how we relate to one or how we walk worthy in the church. He's about to turn now the focus to how we walk worthy in our personal holiness. And in between these two, he's going to tell us how all of this is possible, how real change can happen, how you and I can walk worthy in all aspects of our life. As we come to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, we're starting verse number 17. And as we read, I want you to look for two things in the text this morning. First of all, as we read, look for what is necessary for real change to happen. It's in the middle of the text. So as we get to it this morning, be looking as we read, what is necessary for change to really happen? But I want you to also, as you look at the text, look for a second thing as well. Not just, well, that's interesting that people can change or how it is, but how does this impact me? Where am I in this? What's happening in my life is it describes kind of two different ways to approach life. Where am I in this? Where am I in this journey? And I want you to look for yourself in this text. So what's needed for change and where am I in this particular text? So we come to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? We'll read from Ephesians four seventeen through verse 24 this morning. Now this I say... 
and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray this morning that your word would come alive. You would send your Holy Spirit who inspired this text to now illumine that text and to give us insight into what you want us to know, to your will for us. So God, would you take your word this morning? We know that your word will not return void. God, would you transform each heart and each life as only you can for your glory and for our joy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So is change really possible? Well, it is. And this is what I want you to see from our text this morning. We can put off sin and put on holiness, but it requires a right knowledge of God. So the main idea I want you to see this morning is this. It should be up on the screen for you. We can put off sin and put on holiness, but it requires a right knowledge of God. So is change possible? For a follower of Christ, friends, it is. If you're not a follower of Christ, I can't give you any hope that you'll have real lasting change. But if you are a follower of Christ, if you're seated at his table, if, he, if you belong to him, then you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within you. And by his grace, you can put off your sin. You can put it off and you can change. You can put on righteousness. You can be transformed. But it requires something. It requires the right knowledge of God. But there's just one thing you come away from this morning. I really want you to get this. And that's that our behavior, what we do comes from our beliefs. We so focus a lot of times on our behavior and our externals. I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I thought that. But friends, what we do stems from what we actually believe about things. And friends, if we do not have a right knowledge of God, there's no hope for us having change from our sinful patterns and change towards holiness. But with the right knowledge of God, we can put off sin and we can put on holiness. I'm going to see what's going on here. Look back in verse number 17 for the context of what we're seeing this morning. Ephesians 4, 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord. He begins with the word now. He's introducing an additional thought for us, but it's not that huge of a transition. He's just told us about our identity in the church, how we're to relate to one another, how we walk worthy in terms of unity and humility and how we treat one another. He's about to tell us about how we walk worthy in terms of our personal holiness, but that's not a hard line transition here because, friends, what we do in private is going to affect our life in the church. What we do in our private lives will affect how we relate as the body of Christ. Friends, our holiness or our lack of holiness will affect the church. And so when Paul is transitioning for us with adding this thought, it's not like some different idea. This flows out of what it means to be in the body of Christ. This week I heard a quote that just really resonated with me. This person said, We contribute to the church not just our gifts, but our godliness. We contribute to the church not just our gifts, but our godliness. Friends, whether or not we are walking in righteousness and holiness will impact greatly not just our lives, not just our families, but the life of the whole body of Christ here at Gateway and throughout Montgomery. And friends, we shouldn't be surprised. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. I want you to see it up on the screen here. It's a text that we've looked at before, but in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, we've been reminded that now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Well, it makes sense that there's something wrong with my arm that's going to affect my whole body. 
an image we've been talking about. So go back to verse 26 right above it and see how our sin can impact others. In verse 26, read, we'll pop that one up for us. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, when we think about that verse, a lot of times we think of suffering in terms of trials and tribulations that come into our life. And if we suffer, everyone else suffers as well. But friends, let me remind us as well, our sin causes suffering in our lives. We may not see it right away, but our sin causes suffering. It always brings pain in the long run in our lives. And friends, if we leave unrepentant sin in our lives that we do not change, not only does it cause us to suffer, the whole body of Christ suffers as well. Friends, you contribute to the church not just your gifts. You contribute to the church your godliness. So much is at stake. And because so much is at stake, look back at Ephesians four seventeen. what Paul says. Now, this I say, because so much rides on the body of Christ and being in the body, because of all this, now Paul says, I say and I testify in the Lord. You see the word testify there. That's the word that means to exhort, to insist. Or if you like the old King James, the word that was translated beseech. I'm not quite sure what beseech means, but it sounds really important, doesn't it? I beseech you in the Lord. It's like this type of urgency in his writing that he's insisting on something. And notice he says, I'm saying this, I'm testifying, I'm insisting in the Lord. He's saying, everything I've just told you about the body of Christ, what I'm about to tell you is so important. I'm speaking in the Lord. I'm speaking with the authority of Christ. I'm not telling you my opinions. I'm telling you the clear revelation of God, and I'm insisting on this. And what is he insisting on? He's insisting on a command that we must obey. And the command that he's insisting that we obey in the Lord is two parts here. And the first part of the command that he's giving us is, first of all, we must put off sin. To put off means to get rid of. We must get rid of sin in our life. Look at verse 17. He tells us what not to do. Now this I say and I testify, I insist in the Lord that, here's the first part of the command, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Notice the word must. This is not an option, friends. If chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians are true for us, if we know that we are a child of God, we're adopted, we belong, we've been seated at his table, then what he's telling us now is not just for the super Christians, not just for the missionaries, not just for the elders and deacons. This is, if you name the name of Christ, this is absolutely essential for you. He's saying this must be true for you. And what must be true is you must no longer walk. That means to walk means to, it's a metaphor to live. You must not live a certain way. If you're going to claim Ephesians 1 through 3, that you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, that God has redeemed you, if you're going to claim all that for yourself, then now you must walk worthy. And what does that look like? He says you must not walk as the Gentiles do. The Gentiles is just a common way at the time of expressing people who are outside the covenant community of faith. He's saying, if you are a follower of Christ, if you're going to confess the name of Christ, then you must, it's not an option, you must live different than the world lives. Friends, if the way you and I talk is no different than the way a non-believer talks, there's a problem. If the way we treat our spouse is no different than the way non-believers treat their spouses, there's a problem. Friends, if the way we parent is no different than the way a pagan parents, there's a problem. If our standard of morality is no different than the way the non-believers around us are lost their standards. And friends, there's a problem. He's saying, do not live like the world. You've been rescued from that. And he gives us just a very brief glimpse of what we've been rescued from. Look back at verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. How do the Gentiles walk? He tells us, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Then verse 19, they become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. There's lots we could say on that, but I just want to highlight a few things. 
He says we're not to walk as they do in the futility of their minds. To be futile means to be pointless, to be empty. Friends, being futile in your mind says you're running your life after things that don't satisfy. Isn't that what the world does? There's a longing in their heart, a God-shaped void in their heart, and they're trying to fill it so they run after material success. They run after fame. They run after sexual pleasures. They run after alcohol and drugs and whatever else to try to satisfy that longing. You say, don't, don't run after futile things. Don't be futile in your thinking. You've been rescued from that. Don't go there. Don't live that way. And then in verse 19, he uses several words. He uses the word sensuality and greed and impurity. He's saying, listen, the world is ruled by their passions. There's not freedom in the world. They're ruled. They're, they're slaves to their sin. So don't be like that. You've been redeemed from that. Don't go down that path of being ruled by money or fame or your sexual desires. Don't be controlled by all that. You've been rescued from all that. He said, in contrast to that, now go to verse 22. It says, put off your old self. Your old self that had futile thinking. Your old self that was dark in your understanding. Your old self that ran after all these things. He's saying, put that off. Get rid of that from your life. To put off is an image of dirty clothes. If you've been outside working hard in the summer heat and you're dirty, you take off your dirty clothes. That's the image here for us. You're covered with your sin. Take it off. Change your dirty clothes. Don't continue in the same pattern of life you had before you claim the name of Christ. But I want to remind us, friends, that's not some self-effort. This is not that white-knuckled determination. I'm just going to try harder to be holy. Christ is the one, as we just heard sung, He's the one who has set us free. Through his death, his burial, his resurrection, he's the one who's rescued us from our sin. He's released us from the slavery to our sin, and he's the one who's freed us. Now he says, walk in the freedom that I have given to you. Friends, I heard it described this way that really helped me once. So think about this. Imagine you've been in a prison cell for a long time, and you're finally, the doors are open, and you're finally released from that prison cell. You may be free, but your old patterns you have for years or maybe even decades of your life are going to linger, and you may struggle with this, but you're not bound to stay in that cell. Though those old patterns may call to you and whisper to you, you don't have to follow those anymore. That's what it is with our sin nature. Christ, by his death, burial, and resurrection, has set us free from that sin nature. We don't have to be bound to it. We don't have to obey its passions. But because we lived under it for so long, it still calls to us. And if we're not careful, we'll revert back to our old patterns. And so he's saying, put all that off. By God's grace, put off these simple patterns in your life. But can I suggest something for us this morning? It's not sufficient to just stop sinning. There's got to be something more. Think about it this way. Imagine you get up super early in the morning and you do one of Seth or Jeff Moody's you know, multiple mile runs at 5 a.m. I, I, I don't run with those guys because I'm not brave enough to try that. But these guys run multiple miles in the morning. You get up at 6 a.m. and go out with Steve Gillis to go trim the grounds around here, and you're hauling branches around at 6 o'clock in the morning. By 8 a.m., you are drenched in sweat. Your clothes are covered with dirt from walking outside. And you've got to go to your office job or go to school. Well, yes, you need to take off your dirty clothes. But can I suggest it's not enough just to take off those dirty clothes? For the sake of the obvious, you better take off those dirty clothes, but friends, you better put on some clean clothes also. And that's the picture for us in the Christian life. So often, we treat holiness only as stopping the sin. I'm not going to cuss anymore. I'm not going to be addicted to that substance anymore. I'm not going to think those bad thoughts. I'm not going to look at porn anymore. I'm not going to yell at my wife anymore. Whatever else. And we stop at, well, look, I've achieved holiness. I've quit doing those things. We've taken off the dirty clothes. But friends, just like it's insufficient for me if I'm sweating from the morning to take off my dirty clothes and not put anything else on, it's insufficient for us in the Christian life to only stop sinning if we're not doing something in place of it. And so Paul continues the command to, yes, to put off your sin. But look at verse 24. He tells us to put on 
something else. We're to do something intentionally instead. Verse 24 of Ephesians 4. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Yes, we must stop sinning. But friends, we must also replace it with something else. We must put on our new self. We must strive for righteousness. We must strive for holiness in every aspect of our life. And look at how it's described. This is amazing. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. Because he's saying, get off these dirty, sinful clothes in your life. Get rid of those old patterns of your life, your old nature, and put on a lifestyle by God's grace that looks like Christ himself, our new nature that God gives to us. Not saying you and I can manufacture or just muster up our own strength, but he gives to us a new nature that's created, that is made after the likeness of God himself. That means by God's grace, friends, our actions should be becoming what God would do in that situation. Our words should be the very words that God would speak in that situation. Our desires should be becoming what God's desires already are. He has given to us in His grace a new nature made in the likeness of God. He says, now put it on. I've given it to you. Live it out. Friends, if we really believe there should be, there must be a growth in godliness, not just stopping our sinful behavior, but in replacing it by putting on particular righteous, holy actions. And for the following verses that are going to come over the next about four or five weeks we're going to look at, we're going to see what this looks like to put off the sin, but replace it with a godly virtue week after week for the next few weeks in practical areas of our life. But to illustrate now, I just want to give you an example of what this could look like. If you're one who deals with selfish anger, now granted there's a type of righteous anger, that's not what most of us struggle with. We deal with selfish anger because we don't get our way, we get disappointed, whatever else. If we deal with selfish anger, whether it's to a friend, whether it's to a coworker, whether it's to a spouse, to our kids, whatever, when we have unrighteous anger in our life, yes, we must put that off. We must stop that unrighteous anger. We must stop getting angry in those sinful ways. But that's not sufficient. That's half the command. That's the put off. Instead, we must replace it with something else. If I just quit yelling at my wife or I just quit yelling at my kids, that's not godliness. That's only half of the equation. The other part of that is now I must put on righteousness. So I get rid of anger, but I put on humility. I put on love. I put on serving them. So the people you used to get angry at now, instead of just not getting angry, I've arrived. No. You've arrived when you, instead of getting angry, you serve them. You encourage them. You love them and you build them up in love. You put off the simple anger and you put on encouraging words and love and service in its place. Holiness is not just stopping anger. Holiness is replacing it with those virtues. In fact, this is so essential. I want you to see up on the screen Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14, because it's an exhortation to us that we all need. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. But there are certain verses that strike fear into my heart. And this is one that we, we should pause and think about. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. This is not a call to workspace salvation or to try harder, but this is a, a, a reality check for us that if we are in Christ... He will give us a desire to see him. Friends, if there's no affection, no desire to see God, to know God, then we're not in Christ. But if we have that desire to see God, then what flows out of that is a desire to see him in the way he's told us to see him, and that is to walk in holiness so we can experience him. There becomes a growing desire to put off our sinful patterns and to put on righteousness so that we can know, we can experience God as he's called us to do. God commands us to put off our sin and to put on holiness. And by his grace he gives, we can do that. But how? How do we put off the sin? How do we put on the righteousness? Go back to Ephesians chapter 4, because the answer is, lies all throughout this text, and it's fascinating in this. First of all, to see the answer of how do we do it, we have to see where our sinful patterns 
come from. This is fascinating to me. Look back in verse 17 of Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their what? What's the next word? In the futility of their minds. Go into verse 18. They are darkened in their what? And their understanding is their minds get alienated from the life of God because of the what? The ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Do you understand where our sinful patterns come from? They come from our minds, from our understanding. Friends, our sinful behavior comes out from our minds. That's why I said at the beginning, we just do what we believe. Whatever we believe is what drives our behavior. If we're doing it, it's because somewhere inside we believe something that has led us to do that. And ultimately it ties into having hard hearts that are hardened to the gospel and hardened to God. But notice the contrast of where holy living comes from. Go down to verse 23 again. Verse 23, we're told to be renewed in the spirit of your what? Of your minds. Holiness comes when we're renewed in the spirit of our minds. Friends, do you understand the battle for your soul, the battle for your holiness is going to be won or lost in your mind. It's going to be won or lost in your patterns of thinking that you have developed. It's going to be won or lost in what you're thinking about during the week. Friends, we can put off sin. We can put on holiness, but it's going to require a right thinking, a right knowledge. But a right knowledge of what? Verse 20. But that is not the way you learn to. Who is it you've learned in verse 20 there? That's not the way you've learned Christ. Now go to verse 21. Assuming you've heard about who? Him. And we're taught in who? Him. As the truth is in who? Jesus. I mean, do you see this? It's Christ. It's Him. It's Him. It's Jesus. The knowledge that we're to be putting on is not just general knowledge of education or knowledge of our own selves. Friends, it's a particular knowledge of who God is, of Christ Himself. That's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you heard about Christ and were taught in Christ as the truth is in Jesus Christ, friends. We can put off sin and put on holiness, but it requires a right knowledge of God. Friends, I'm, I'm convinced if we trace back all of our sin struggles, eventually somewhere at the root of every sin struggle we have is a wrong thought about God. If we can trace it all the way back, there's some lie we're believing about God that has led to that addiction, that has led to that anger, that has led to that wrong thinking, whatever it is. There's something we're believing. And friends, should we really be surprised? Think of the very first sin that was ever committed. Lucifer, the most beautiful of all the angels, he became jealous that God was receiving the glory. And so that led to the rebellion and to him falling. But what was it? He had a wrong thought about the glory of God and the worthiness of God receiving worship. Think about the very first human sin on earth when Lucifer takes the form of a snake and speaks to Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. And he tells him, did God really say what happens in Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve's mind? They begin to doubt the trustworthiness of God. They begin to believe and doubt the goodness of God. There was a lie they believed about the goodness and trustworthiness of God that led to the sin they committed. Friends, I'm convinced in our lives the same is true, that every one of our sins comes from a wrong belief somewhere in our thinking. Whether or not we live like the world or live for God is going to be determined by our thoughts about God. So friends, how do we have right thoughts about God? How do we put off the old and put on the new? I'm going to give you four things I think that are essential and helpful for us is to be able to, to live out this pattern of life that Paul has told us. How can we, by God's grace, put off the old and put on the new? How can we think rightly about God? Number one, we must spend regular time in Scripture. Friends, there's no substitute about it. This is like going back to the basics, but we must spend regular time in Scripture. Go back to verses 20 and 21 that we just looked at. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Friends, where do we get taught the Word of God? Where do we find out who God is? His Word, the Bible, the Scripture. If we want to know who Christ is and be taught in Christ, like it says, if we want to understand Him, if we want to understand the truth that's in Jesus, like it says in this verse, this is where we're going to find it. 
nowhere else. Now, we obviously teach this word in our small groups, in our Sunday school classes, in our life groups, in our youth group, in our college group here in, from the pulpit. We're going to regularly do this, and so we pray that you come and are fed the word of God and learn the truth in Christ. But friends, if all you get is one hour a week, that's not going to be sufficient. Because the battle for holiness is every day. The temptations come your way every day. And you need to be feasting on who God is and eating up his word every day as the Spirit of God teaches you so that you're strong enough to understand who God is. Spend regular time in the Scripture because it's where we learn who God is. But number two, find community where the Word of God is the focus. Find community where the Word of God is the focus. Friends, we all have a longing for community. We're all searching it out somewhere. And what grieves me so much as a pastor is over the years, I've watched person after person turn their backs on the Lord because they've gotten in the wrong community. A community that teaches them to question God, that teaches them that God's not good or encourages those lies in their thinking and all that. Friends, we need community that points us back to the gospel. I'm not saying we isolate ourselves from non-believers. We need to be in those communities to be able to share Christ with people there. But our primary source of encouragement, the people who are counseling us and shaping us, need to be people who understand the gospel. We need to be in community where the word of God is the focus. Go back to verse 20 of Ephesians 4 this morning. I've got an easy question for you here. So Ephesians 4.20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Because think about everything we've seen in Ephesians. The word you there. In Greek, you can be singular, addressed to one person, or plural, addressed to multiple people. So easy question here, based on what we've seen in Ephesians, is the you singular, is that the way you personally learned Christ, or is the you plural here? What do you think? Plural, yeah. This is the one we can translate y'all. That's not the way y'all together have learned Christ. This is the plural you here, friends. The reason for that is because our holiness is not a private matter. It's a community project. Friends, my holiness or light thereof affects you. Your holiness or light thereof affects everyone else around you on that. And so we're called to together to learn Christ together. We're called to together be involved in growing in holiness together. Therefore, we go back to verse 15 from last week. In these communities, what do we do? Verse 15, rather speaking the truth. What's the truth? The gospel, who God is. We should speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, and to Christ. Friends, not only do you need to go to the Scriptures yourself to find who Christ is, but you also need to make sure you're in community to where the Word of God is at the focus. And friends, there are so many places here at Gateway where you can find that type of community to where the Word of God is the focus. But if you're struggling to find that, you don't have to wait for the church to hand you a program. You can start it yourself. You don't need a church program or blessing to start a community with the Word of the focus. Grab several friends who are believers and say, hey, I'm struggling with these sins in my life. I want you to speak truth into my life, and I want to speak truth in your life. Let's get in this together, and let's let the Word guide us. And you just start doing this of verse 15, of truthing in love with one another. It doesn't require a program. So spend regular time in Scripture. Number two, find community where the Word is the focus. Number three, pray for holiness. Pray for holiness. Friends, we pray for lots of our needs. We pray about sickness in our family. We pray for financial needs. We pray for our government. And it's right. We should pray for all this. But how much do we pray for holiness in our lives and in one another's life? Look back at verse number 24. And this is the command we've been given to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and in holiness. Friends, we need to be asking God to do this in our lives. Friends, we're helpless. We cannot manufacture that in our own strength. But God can. We can't make holiness, but God can. And so, friends, we need to be asking God in dependency and help us saying, Lord, you've commanded me to walk worthy, but I'm following so short. Would you give me grace? Would you bring conviction? Would you grow me in godliness? Would you be letting me be made more into the likeness of God? And he is a good father who delights when we ask for help. 
Friends, when was the last time we prayed hard about holiness? When was the last time we prayed hard because there was some sin we needed to put off? Because there was some wrong thinking we needed to put off? There was some attitude we needed to put off? When was the last time we prayed hard because there was some change we wanted in godliness, because there was some righteous virtue of Christ's likeness that we wanted in our lives? When was the last time we prayed hard about that? Friends, when we pray for this, God will answer. It's His will for us. I don't have it on the screen, but read it later. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Because when you ask God, saying, God, I need to be grown in godliness in my speech or my thoughts or whatever else, God's not up in heaven going, man, I wish they would just pray my will. You're praying his will. When you ask God for growth in godliness, you're praying the will of God for your life, and he delights in answering. So, friends, ask him and ask him over and over to be growing you in godliness. So, number one, spend time in Scripture. Number two, find community where the word is the focus. Number three, pray for holiness. And the last one is number four. When you sin, take time to figure out the wrong belief that drove it. When you sin, take the time to go down to the wrong belief that drove it. It's so easy for us, friends, when we've sinned in some ways. If it's our speech, like, Lord, I was wrong in discouraging my kids in that way. Please forgive me. And we stop there. Or, Lord, it was wrong for me to think that impure thought. Forgive me. And we just stop there and we move on. We confess our sins and we just go on with life. Friends, it's good to confess our sins. He calls us to do that. But friends, go deeper than that. Don't stop there. Go deep and say, Lord, show me what am I believing? What lie am I believing that's driven to this? Am I believing that my sins will not find me out? Am I believing a lie that this sin doesn't hurt others? Am I believing a lie that that person doesn't deserve to be loved? Whatever it is, ask God to show you what it is in your heart that you're believing is a lie that's leading to this external sin that needs to be transformed. And when he shows you, because he's a good father who delights in showing these things to us, when he shows that to you, friends... Go back to the Word and memorize and meditate on Scriptures that speak into whatever that lie is that we're believing. It may be a lie that I'm not well provided for by God. It may be a lie that God doesn't really love me. There may be deep things, and when He shows you what lie we're believing, to go into the Word and start meditating on the promises of God that speak into those situations. So, friends, by God's grace, we can walk worthy of the calling we have. We can walk worthy in terms of personal holiness. We can walk worthy in terms of our unity as the body of Christ. To take his grace that he gives to us to enable us to put off our sin and to put on holiness. This grace he gives as we pursue this right knowledge of him. Friends, we can, by God's grace, put off sin and put on holiness, but it requires a right knowledge of God. With that in view, it's very fitting this morning for us to meditate on that, reflect on that truth, and to celebrate together communion. Celebrate together this thing that reminds us of God's grace gift to us. What is communion, friends? What is the Lord's Supper? This is a time for us to remember. I want you to see on the screen 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Because communion is a great reminder for us of what Christ has done for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. We given thanks, he broke it. said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it and remember it as me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, as we think about everything we're talking about this morning, about putting off our sin and putting on righteousness, we can't do that apart from what Christ has done for us. The only way you and I can experience freedom from sin and freedom to walk in holiness is because Christ has already set us free. He did what we could not do. He let his body be broken across, his blood shed so that we could be rescued from our sin. And so we remember his sacrifice. But friends, the reason we do this together, the reason I don't celebrate communion alone at home, because this is something he did for, to remind us of our calling together 
as the body of Christ. He gave this to us together to remind us not only are we seated at his table, but we're seated at his table together. That all of us together are seated at his table celebrating the same meal, enjoying his presence, enjoying being together as the body of Christ. And so we remember his sacrifice. We remember the body of Christ together. But friends, it's, it's not only a time for us to remember, and this ties into what we're talking about this morning, it's a time to reflect as well. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 27, tells us this morning, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Because communion is not something we just rush into. It's something that we're called to reflect and remember. We're called to have the Spirit of God search our hearts in it. And so even as we come to the table this morning, I hope you will think about some of those things we're talking about this morning. Am I experiencing by His grace a putting off of sin in my life? Am I experiencing by His grace a putting on of righteousness? Am I by His grace walking worthy of the calling I have in Christ? And there's areas where God shows us where we're falling short, friend. Then we're just going to take communion and ignore that. We need to do business with God first and talk to Him about it. His, His Spirit convicts us. We need to listen to Him and talk to Him about that and pray and confess our sins before we celebrate it. So friends, if you're not a follower of Christ, I just want to urge you, if you've not one who knows your seat at his table, that he's adopted you and that you belong to him and your sins are forgiven, just please stay where you're seated this morning. No one's going to look at you funny. There's no shame in that when we come to receive the elements. We want you to use the time to talk to the Lord and say, God, if you're really real and out there, would you show yourself to me? This is only only for followers of Christ. Friends, if you are a follower of Christ, we invite you to come, not out of habit, not just because something we do every four or five weeks, not because you think you're going to get some merit from it. You don't. We come to remember. We come to reflect. We come to worship him and to praise the one who has made a way for us to be free. And so I hope you'll take time, even as you come to receive the elements, even as you're at your seat waiting, to take time and talk to the Lord and just ask him, Spirit of God, search my heart. Are there areas where I'm not walking worthy? Are there areas where I'm not putting off my sin and putting on righteousness by your grace? And as he shows you those, friends, delight in that. He loves you so much that he disciplines us when we err. And delight in that, friends. Asking God to search us and convict us and discipline us is not a bad thing. It's a sweet thing. Because it means we're his child that he loves. So use the time to ask the Lord to search your heart, to pray, and then as you confess your sins to him and he forgives you, to celebrate that by taking the bread and taking the juice and eating it and drinking it and being reminded that Christ's death and burial and resurrection is what has set you free so that you can now experience intimacy with God and being seated at his table. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to ask our praise team to come and receive the elements. And then our deacons will come and direct each of you here at Gateway. We invite you to come to the front to get the bread, to get the juice, and then return to your seat um, to take those whenever you are ready. But would you pray with me right now? Father, we are so thankful for your grace. Father, your grace is so sweet and so precious. And God, I pray that this morning as we celebrate communion and close, as we reflect on putting off the old and putting on the new, putting off sin and putting on righteousness, and that we'll be reminded that we can't do that in our own strength. And it's all your grace, the grace that drawed us to salvation, the same grace we need to walk in holiness the rest of this day. So God, I pray for myself and each of these precious brothers and sisters, that God, as we celebrate communion, you would free us from doing this out of habit. You would free us from doing this just because it's something we do as Christians. But God, that we would treasure this, that your spirit would convict us of sins and we'd be quick to confess, that you would remind us of who we are in Christ. And God, as we look at the bread and we look at the juice and remind the Lord Jesus of your body and blood, God, you would turn our hearts to worship and thankfulness for the incredible sacrifice, the incredible cross that was paid. We might be free from our sins and seated at your table. That you took us, your enemies, and have made us 
your friends. So God, would you use this for the building up of your body, and would you receive the worship and the praise for what happens here this morning? And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.